Hey everybody, thanks for stopping by. I'm Eric Johnson and this is the Burley Flow Podcast. Today we're going to talk a little about winter survival, but before we do, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. That way, if you like what you hear, you'll never have to miss another installment. And when we're done, take a minute to check out the website at burlyflow.com, where you'll find a bunch more stuff, including excerpts from my book and information about even more content over on my Patreon page. Oh, and just to be clear, thanks again for being here. I've never been all that athletic, so I've missed out on a lot of those life lessons former athletes love to go on about, the ones that come from participating in organized sports. Most of my sports-related lessons come from gym class, which I think nearly everyone would admit is a little like taking marriage advice from a stranger on a train. Even there, the only really valuable lesson I managed to take away from gym class, not a stranger on a train, I didn't actually pick up until later in life. It was the one about pacing yourself. True to form, it seemed to be in no rush to be understood. Or maybe I'm just exceptionally slow to understand. Remember that long run they made us do every year? It's okay if you don't. It was part of a presidential physical fitness directive, so it might have gotten voted out at some point. Maybe passed over in favor of making schools drug-free zones, I don't know. But for me and for those my age, there was a series of physical fitness requirements, the results of which we were led to believe would be reported directly to the White House. And one of those requirements was running 600 yards. Nobody was really sure how far that was other than being six football fields, but for most of us, we might as well have been told to run to Canada, where, ironically, we probably would have been turned around at the border on account of them being better at adopting the metric system. Pace yourself, the gym teacher would shout. Pace yourself. And I'd try. I really would. But it's hard to pace yourself when all of the cool kids and most of the girls were out there ahead of you, and you're running so slow you can imagine yourself still out there when they're bringing in the cones at the end of the day. Damn it, Johnson, where's your pride, man? Don't you care what the president thinks? And I get that pain in my side, whether I ran slow or fast. And any time pain was involved, it seemed like something you wanted to get over as soon as possible instead of prolonging. So no matter how hard I tried to pace myself, I ended up running out of steam and disappointing President Reagan yet again, as if the Contras hadn't done enough. A Midwestern winter, I've learned, is very much like the 600-yard run. Making it through requires similar skills, only instead of that patch they promise you if you really excelled, and what kid doesn't want a patch, you get the chance to do it all again next year. When I lived at the old Sanderley place, that rambling old farmhouse on top of one of the windiest ridges in the good enough region, Coop Lambeck likened survival to playing chess when everyone else was playing checkers. He was talking about financial survival, of course. You could survive, survive just fine playing checkers for a month or two, 
But then you'd find yourself out on the street, which, though only slightly less insulated than the house you lost, didn't have a place to wash the Packers on Sunday. When I came back and started living in the eye, it was in the literal and figurative heart of winter, and I found myself without direct control of the thermostat, which was located in a locked but unused downstairs apartment. If I wanted to bump it up or down, I'd have to call Rocky Elroy, Cordelia Trim's property manager. And though he was more than happy to do it, I hated to be a bother, so I kept it set low. Like, really low. And yet, man, did that furnace run. So in hindsight, it was my Midwestern reserve, uneroded after 20 years in the puzzled South, that first nudged me toward enlightenment. And now that I've been through it once or twice, I can speak about it with the authority of a survivor, physical as well as financial. Aren't you forgetting about mental survival? Joey Garnavillo asked the other day as I was expounding on my theory at the bilge pump, because I, for one, have questions about that. Joey is a big believer in keeping warm, and as a townshouse sitter of choice, he has the advantage of having other people pay for that privilege. All he has to do is make it to Thanksgiving, after which the first of the snowbirds start heading south. Then he has his pick of the abandoned nests. It's one of life's ironies that those best equipped to make it through the winter are the ones who leave town so they don't have to. This year, he chose to winter at the D'Angelo place, which has a hot tub, sauna, home theater, pool table, and most importantly, two fireplaces and a top-of-the-line furnace capable of keeping up with the deepest freezes. Joey's trade-off, because every dream come true has to have a trade-off, is con a maniacal rat terrier with the loosest bowels of any dog Doc Ramsey, the town's vet, has ever failed to treat. Joey, however, refuses to believe there's any condition there for him to treat. He knows exactly what he's doing, he says. The little shit. There's nothing little about con shits, though, which is why Joey has no qualms about keeping the place hothouse warm. It's like being in the botanical gardens, he says. Just me and my t-shirt and shorts, con, and several piles of fertilizer. He's bragging, obviously, but you got to admire the honesty. For those of us without the benefit of someone else's bank account to draw from, winter survival, however you want to define survival, is a messy exercise in controlled misery. Or, maybe a better way to look at it, it's like Bolero, but Bo Derek is nowhere in sight. I say Bolero because my music appreciation professor in college, a veteran of the Boston Pops under Arthur Fiedler, who was as full of entertaining stories as Khan is full of shit, made a point once of explaining how difficult Bolero was to play. He then proceeded to play a recording of it to prove his point, though the consensus was it would have been pretty easy to play. After all, it was really just that one melody over and over and over again. That might be true, the professor conceded, but what it lacked in technical challenges it more than made up for with artistic ones, because it was all about patience, he said. The piece was a slow, determined, sensual crescendo toward a soul-shaking rapture. Get out ahead of yourself and you've got nothing left for the climax. And the point, success in this case, was to get everybody to that glorious moment at the same time. 
Another one of those slow-arriving lessons. And while I suspect this was also explained in the movie somewhere, I'm sure I fast-forwarded through it. Ten wouldn't have been a movie I rented to actually watch, if you know what I mean. In this case, in my case anyway, the climax is the explosive joy of making it through the winter with a place to live and the money to keep living there. And the patience that gets you to that point comes in the form of a perpetual low-grade misery that's prolonged and managed in such a way that whatever the temperature, you're always one layer short of warm. Because one layer short of warm means you've always got another layer left to add. Instead of low-grade misery, why not settle for marginal comfort, Joey asked. Not, I suppose, unreasonably. It was a question of confidence, I told him. If you're toasty in November, you might have guessed right, but you also might be a layer or two warmer than you need to be, in which case you won't have enough layers left for when the temperature really starts to fall. Low-grade misery is the only way to know for sure you haven't overshot your mark, I said. In other words, today's misery ensures tomorrow's happiness, Joey said, if by happiness you mean more misery. I slapped him on the back. Now you're getting it. You might say, why not just get a space heater? But if you do, you've obviously never lived anywhere cold enough to actually need one. It's another winter paradox, not being able to use the thing you need. But using a space heater is to say yes to addiction, because once you turn that knob, there's no going back. The only happiness you'll know until spring is being within a three-foot radius of the thing. You won't find it among the numerous and very valid warnings in the instruction booklet, but the real danger of a space heater isn't burning down a house. It's a loss of free will. Anyway, I have to be especially careful when it comes to the weather, because in moving back to Wisconsin, I gave up my right to complain about it, which, given the role complaining about the weather plays in everyday life around here, is not an insignificant loss. But by leaving the South seat in humidity by all accounts far worse than the worst southwest Wisconsin has to offer, I've got no leg to stand on when it comes to the dog days of summer. And because I knew what I was getting into in terms of winters and still chose to return, I forfeited my right to complain about the cold and the snow, too. I can comment, I can point out, but I can no longer complain. Which means my biggest fear these days is that someone's going to show up at my door unannounced, because there's a presentable me, and then there's a layered for survival me, and to see the latter is to see someone with a lot to complain about. Starting with long underwear and ending with a poofy goose-down vest and containing any number of shirts and sweat sandwiched in between, not to mention socks and slippers and head coverings, I'm less a man than a dapper dandal wearing all the clothes. I don't sit so much as just kind of stuff myself into a chair and hope I don't pop out. The presentable me, the me you might find outside shoveling out my car or doing the penguin walk to the post office, is dressed to enjoy the warmth, wearing far less and smiling much more. Joey is the exact opposite, beaming when he's inside the D'Angelo place, but scowling murderously whenever he's out and about which kind of proves that life really is all about the trade-offs, doesn't it? I may spend six months of the year just short of warm, but at least I don't have to wash my step like Joey does. And given the fact that I can't see my feet, that's undoubtedly a good thing. 
Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for stopping by, and when you get a chance, don't forget to check out the website at burlyflow.com. There's some cool stuff there I think you'll like. Thanks again. We'll catch you later. <laughs>